You're listening to Westside Church. For more information, visit us at westsideinfo.com. You know, when uh, I was praying about the theme for this, this year's tea, and I just felt like God gave me this picture of a home, just the same time as Kathy, she was telling me about, you know, decorating for a home, and I said, I feel like it's supposed to be welcome home, there's a place for you. And that's on many levels. So today, welcome home, there's a place for you at the table where you're sitting, there is a place for you, and we've prepared a place for you. And then on another level, there's a place in community. And some of you may go to other churches, and that's wonderful. And there's a community of believers that you can rely on to pray with and love and care for. And uh, we need each other. We need each other even more as, you know, time goes on and stuff is happening all over the world and in our, in maybe in our own lives and in those that... Um, that we're close to, and stuff is happening, and, and we need girlfriends. <laughs> we need each other, um, but more important, we need God, and uh, he is the author of relationship. It all stemmed from him. He created relationship. We didn't just have this good idea of having girlfriends and having friendships and community, but it was God who put that in us. He put that in us in his image. He stamped that on our hearts. And so we need each other. So there is a place for you, not only here at the table, there's a place for you in community. And uh, if you're not part of a local church, we welcome you to be part of our community where we love and care for one another with open arms. And, but even more important on another level than that, there's a place for you in God's family. And uh, God made a way from the beginning of time when he created us because he loved us. We created everything around for our enjoyment. And uh, we walked away, and he had a plan of redemption from the beginning of time to um, bring us back into right relationship with him. And so we celebrate Christmas. Um, we celebrate the birth of Jesus. He, didn't de- he wasn't born on uh, December 25th, but we take the opportunity to celebrate this season and uh, he was born as a baby in a manger, but he didn't stay that way. And he grew up a perfect life so that he could ultimately be the sacrifice on the cross, his blood shed for us, so that our sins could be forgiven and we could come into right standing with Almighty God. And it's a wonderful, wonderful thing that, um, that there is a place for you in God's family. And the invitation is broad. And he says, I would that all men and women would come to me. The invitation is broad. And he stands, so to speak, with arms extended and says, come to me. You're my girl. I created you for relationship with me. And I want that. I want you to put me first in your life. So um, welcome home. There's a place for you. There's a place in community. And there's a place in God's family for you. And uh, so Jen, Jennifer Booth. She is like one of my girls. I'm uh, very, very close friends with her mother-in-law. And so I met Jen when she was a high school girl and when she first started hanging around with the Booth family. And she was Kate's friend, and then she started dating Caleb. And so, you know, different events that Steve and I would go to with Kevin and Cindy. 
And so I'd see this girl, and I was like, you know, more and more, the more I saw her, the more impressed I was. I was like, she fits right in with this family. Not everyone can fit right in with this family, (laughs) this wonderful Booth family. But um, she fits right in. She's confident. She's one of the most positive people I know. She always has, you know, a smile, and she doesn't know a stranger. She loves everybody, and... And uh, if you go up to her afterwards, she'd love to, love to chat with you. But um, she is, uh, and, and I remember saying as they got closer and they got engaged and they were going to get married, I just thought, wow, this girl has something to say. And I could see her speaking before groups of women and women and men that uh, she's got something to say. And God's got a huge call and an anointing on her life. And so she got married, and then and she got her teacher's credentials. She taught for several years, and now is the principal. She's 28 years old, and she's the principal of a large Christian school in Southern California. So, and she's got two little girls, two and four. So uh, she is a big-capacity, multitasking woman, and uh, here's the most important thing. She loves God and has put him the center of her life more than anything else. All these other things are second and pale in comparison with her relationship with Jesus. And so she's got a story to tell, and I wanted her here for this tea. And so I changed the date. This tea was supposed to be the second uh, weekend of December, and I changed the date because she, could, she wouldn't be able to make it. But I felt like she was supposed to be here. Jen needed a home. Jen needed a welcome home. There's a place for you. Jen needed community. She needed to be in the family of God. And uh, God received her uh, warmly. And she's going to tell you her faith-filled story of what God did in her life through tragic circumstances and uh, how he's brought her through. So, Jen, come on up. And we're so excited to hear you. Cool. And have a blast. (gasps) I will. You forgot to mention how loud I am. Okay. I'm a naturally loud person and wild and sassy, but it's all good. God's put it into a good package to use for his glory. These are my two babies. They'll be here tomorrow if you join us. Um, Brooke, she's four, uh, approaching four and a half, and Taylor Rose, she is um, two. I call them my sweet and sassy. I got sugar and spice, everything nice, okay? Uh, my hubby, they have a picture of him too. He's my hunky man. They may not have it. Oh, there he is. Ah, he's a twin. So when Terry referred to Kate and I being best friends, that's his twin. Um, and so we were best friends. We met in high school and uh, best friends all the way through. Still, obviously, now we're family. And so that's awesome. Um, I am going to share with you a lot of my testimony today. And it's so hard when you um, kind of get to this stage, like picking and deciding which parts of the testimony that God wants you to share with the group of women or people that you're with. And our testimony is really just used to help build the faith in other people. And so I don't know many of you at all. Some of you, a handful I do know through, through our relationship with Westside Church. Um, but, and some of you don't know each other. And that's cool. I love that about the Christmas time teas. We have one in our church. It's actually finishing up probably right now. Um, back in Southern California, we had ours this morning. And, um, you know, we have the same thing where friends of friends come and we get to come together and enjoy some Christmas spirit, enjoy some yummy food. And, um, you know, I loved this theme of this tea. 
with Welcome Home. It does go along really well with my testimony. But when you think of Christmas time, you think of home and you just think of a comfortable place. And in all three of those areas that Terry described as what kind of the purpose of this theme was, you know, God intends those to be comfortable places, your church home to be a comfortable place for you, for in your, in your um, uh, son, your daughtership in God's house, for it to be a comfortable place, not insecure, not timid, not fearful, um, and um, also in here today for you guys to feel comfortable. So I hope I can make you feel comfortable with what I'm sharing um, if you shed a tear through some of the things I say, that's perfectly okay. It won't, it won't thwart me. I may shed one too. We'll see. Um, but before I even start, I want to share something out of James because I, I encourage you guys to um, take some time to think about the, the faithfulness that God has been to you in your life um, and think about those things that he brought you through. And um, in James, it, it talks, about the, uh, talks about testing of our faith. Okay, it's a thing that's going to happen, and uh, we're going to be tested in life, and we're going to go through ups and downs, uh, and I'm telling you, it's so much easier, and the outcome is so more victorious when we have Jesus being the one that's leading our testing, and we're not just kind of going about it in the world. We, we end up in a really rocky road um, that way, but he's, he starts, James here starts with, you know, a really kind of like ironic uh, sentence, count it all joy. My brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, kind of ironic, like meeting trials, consider it a joy. I don't know. Don't really go together. For you know, here we go. Here's God's promise coming through. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness or being secure or sturdy um, have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And that's God's hope for us, that even though we are lost and far from him, um, that he would make a way for us to come back into his, into relationship with him so we could be steadfast and secure and lacking in nothing. And I do stand here today a blessed woman. I, um, my husband and I own our house. We both have um, jobs that we love. We work with our family. We work with our church family. Um, we, you know, have the things we need. And if I would have at a young age, kind of just um, taken what maybe the world had to offer as far as what my situation was, then I could have been in a totally different place. And so I don't, I don't like to, I don't, I don't stand here bragging about the, where I'm at in God. And I, I don't ever want to come across like that. It's not a bragging thing, but it is. Um, um, yeah, just like a thankfulness and gratitude because God is the one that got me to this place. And he wants you to succeed. Okay, people have all these misconstrued ideas that God's going to, de- you know, slap you with the, the lightning, right? That was like a very common thing. So if I walk in the church, I'll get hit with a lightning bolt because I'm just way far from God. He's just going to torture me like that. That is not our king. That's not our heavenly father. That is a misunderstanding um, through just kind of the years and people's uh, maybe their own experiences. And so God has a plan for you, just like he, had, he has a plan for me and continues to work out my plan. And in his word, he has promises, things that he guarantees to us. And those are all the same. The promises that he gives are the same for all of us, that he wants us to be successful. He wants us to succeed. He wants us to be perfect, lacking in nothing. But the plan that we're each going to walk out to get to that place is going to be different. 
So my story today um, is going to be very different than yours, but it's still um, just here to encourage you and to remind you that you're, you're going through a plan right now and a walk right now, but it's so God can bring you to that perfect place so you will lack in nothing and you will get to your place um, of full freedom in his house, okay? Comfort in his home. Um, okay, so I have heard people in Placerville, Southern California, Placerville a little bit different. I love, this place is absolutely stunning. This place is somewhere I would move to. And I'm not, you know, I'm, I love the nature, but I'm not a rural girl at all. You know, like, freaks me out. Like, even though I like organic stuff, like, I don't like to see the chicken be cut up. <laughs> I want to buy it in the package organic. Even though I know that's organic. But I don't like that concept, right? It just freaks me out. You know, but this place is gorgeous. It has the perfect combination of nature, uh, deer running around. My kids love it. They're, like, watching, like, we're deer hunting. We're like, oh, my gosh, you guys, it's like deer outside. You don't get that. We get like squirrels and spiders and bunnies and stuff like that. So it's beautiful up here. I would totally, I told my husband, I would move up here. It's got the perfect combination of city and rural and nature and it's gorgeous. So I'm a little bit jealous of that, but I love living in Southern California. But I heard that people of Placerville have a good poker face. Okay. You guys have a good poker face. Now, if you start knowing me for like more than four hours, I know you get like two hours to kind of get to know me here. Uh, you'll realize I do not have a good poker face. I'm very expressive in this face. Okay, if I don't like something, I'm like... You know, I have a lot of different faces. Um, my, some, my little Tay-Tay, she's, she's kind of got, like, me. Sassy and that kind of face thing. So I don't have a good poker face, so I'm not good at playing games with people. I mean, I like, I'm competitive, but it, like, comes out, like, crazy. Okay? But I heard you guys have a good poker face. And, you know, poker, poker can go so many different ways. But when you're playing a game of poker, you start with a you know, little hand of cards. And when you first look at your cards, you can kind of make some judgments on that. Okay, this is lining up pretty nicely. Or, wow, I just got dealt. Did you shuffle these cards? Right? You know, you've all said that. Did you shuffle these cards? And because you know maybe it's not the best setup of cards. And so, you know, you hear this saying a lot. Like, well, you know what? I was just dealt a really crummy hand. So that must just be my destiny. Just crumminess. Like, you know, I'm just, I'm just going to go ahead and forfeit this round because I already know it's just going to suck. I already know, like, nothing's going to happen on here. Everyone else must have a better hand than me. You know, and we, we, we hear that concept a lot. We hear that, um, you know, people facing that reality. But if you actually go forth and continue in the game of poker, you realize that even if you start with a hand that maybe didn't look so great, you can end up the winner at the table. Okay? And so... Um, you know, when I was born or maybe in my, in my childhood, I wasn't really dealt the best hand. I'll tell you a little bit about that now. Um, I did, uh, I was born, okay, first I was a love child. You know what that, what that is? Love child, my parents conceived me in the womb before they were married, but my mom gave my dad the ultimatum. She said, okay, you come through with this now. You, you bought the package, so now, you know, really buy it, put a ring on it. And so she said, you marry me or we're going to have to go our separate ways because I'm not going down that road. I don't know why. I don't know why the ultimatum. But they did get married. I was at the wedding inside the womb. The bump was there. I enjoyed the cake and all the decor. Um, and so my parents had me. My, when both my parents worked for a while. My mom was able after that to kind of stay at home. Uh, my mom, uh, three years later, had my sister. Um, two years later after that, she had um, our, my, my third sibling, I think it would be like, I'm the first, second, third. So the third sibling, um, his name was Taylor, and he passed away of the crib death at like six weeks. So that was more common back then, SIDS, they called it. 
And I think that was probably hard. I didn't understand it as a child, but I'm I'm now knowing, now being an adult, I realize that could be pretty hard in someone's life, losing your baby. I wouldn't, I couldn't imagine losing my babies. And um, then after that, uh, about two years after that, we had um, my youngest brother now, who is um, Dalton, and so she had him. So we ended up being a family of five, and we all lived together. We kind of were, you know, not really well off, but we, we, we made do with what we had. We lived in a townhouse complex in Southern California, and uh, my dad was an engineer. And my mom, like I said at that time, she was able to stay home with us. And from a young age, after we kind of got through some of these trials, I mean, my parents weren't perfect. They, they, they had a worldly love for each other. I would say that. I would say they, you know, in all the terms of love that the world understands, they loved each other, but they fought a lot. They um, both had their own kind of weaknesses they turned to to um, bring them comfort. My dad turned to alcoholism. Um, they both kind of got had a side thing with um, not like hard drugs, but like marijuana and things like that. And from a young age, it must have been my stubbornness in me, but I recognized it as not a good thing. And it built up a lot of anger in me as a kid. I was mad about it. I'm like, why are you doing these things that I know aren't okay? And so we just kind of continued through, but we all still lived together and kind of going through the years. When I was in elementary school, my mom started getting sick. They diagnosed her with, at the time, uh, rheumatoid arthritis. And it kind of affected many areas in her body. And so it had a big effect on kind of like her physical abilities. But she was a hardworking mama. She, she made things very special for us. And she did the scavenger hunts on Easter, wrapped every little thing in our stocking on Christmas. You know, she, um, you know, wanted the best for her babies. And uh, she knew, um, you know, some of the things she did weren't legal to make that happen, but she did them. So on, at times I remember being, you know, you know, the start of the school year and you look forward to as a kid, like getting your portion of new clothes, right? And, and so there was times when my mom, you know, wanted to provide for us, but she couldn't financially. So she would find ways to get the stuff like in her purse and roll out, you know, and I knew this was, was not right. And she got caught up in it a couple times and, you know, you have to look at her heart and say she wasn't stealing to, you know, for yeah, she like wasn't stealing for herself. She was stealing for her kids, but it still wasn't the right thing to do. And so I remember being a little kid and kind of being put in this position like, Mom, like, we don't need this stuff. We're okay. Like, let's not go down that road. I'd rather have you here than like gone because of your bad choices. And I remember at one point I had to tell my mom, Mom, I'm not going anywhere with you if you're going to take a purse with you. <laughs> you leave the purse at home. And so she would, leave, you know, finally we broke through that. She would leave her purse at home and then we would go out about our merry way. You know, so, and I remember I was in elementary school at this time trying to tell her these things, which is pretty different. You don't want to have to be, you know, that's not normal. That's not a normal childhood. But, um, you know, so God had already put something deep inside me to be, be strong at that age. And so years continue. My mom, like I said, she was sick, so it, it did play a part. I think at the time, rheumatoid arthritis wasn't, didn't have like as many of the um, kind of studies at the time. So she went through all sorts of trial and error things. She got the gold shots and the different pills and hip surgeries, things like that, things that scare the death out of you. You're like, am I going to get all this stuff? What's going on? Whatever. So that kind of, she kind of came to terms with it, was able to kind of function with it. Um, and we continued on in elementary school. My dad kind of hit that slippery slope part with alcohol. And so he was, you know, embarrassing to me. Like he would come home drunk and I'd have to go out and help him up and get into the, get into the house. Just things like that. Kind of awkward, kind of not fair, not a good hand. And, um, when I was finished with junior high, um, 
that summer, right before you're going to go into high school, big transition for all us young, young, you know, as a young lady, my mom got really sick into the place where she had to be hospitalized. And it wasn't the rheumatoid arthritis this time. It was something else. And we didn't know what it was. But she was in the hospital, I would say, for the majority of the summer. And at that time, my dad was on that slippery slope. And so he wasn't able and stable enough to take care of us. So one of my aunts, like, immediately came in, took me and my siblings, took us to the house and said, okay, well, we're just going to start here. You can come over for a sleepover. And we're like, yeah, you know, we, we were, it was cool. It was exciting for us. Um, but also still kind of nerve-wracking because of the unknown of what was going to happen to my mom. And so um, we went and lived with her. They got, we got through this summer kind of visiting mom, kind of hanging out, doing things out of the normal routine, you know, to make it fun. And then at the end of the summer, they were able to diagnose her with a heart hypertension and said, okay, we can stabilize it in the sense of we can put you on a pump that will be pushing the medicine you need through your heart 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But you, in order to get out of the hospital, you're going to need to be in a home where someone can kind of be around you and, you know, where you feel comfortable they can help take care of you. And so my aunt and my mom decided at that time we were going to move out, you know, away from my dad and um, we were going to go move in with her house and my dad wasn't going to move with us. And that's a, that was a big change. My parents weren't getting a divorce, even though they had a rocky path and they fought and things like that. But we were being separated now from that kind of family, you know, sanction. And so we did. So we, we shifted cities. It was probably like a 30, 30 to 45 minute, you know, distance in, um, land. And so we moved in, I'm going into high school now. And you know, that's hard even when you're going in with friends that, you know, so now I'm going to a new place, high school. So, you know, I've got the balance of family turmoil and then the balance of just my own teenager turmoil, you know, and you moms of teenagers know, you know, you could have the best home and it's still turmoil for these young ladies. That's just what it is. My husband and I worked with the youth group for eight years and I come home crying sometimes because working with youth is not easy, but they make it through. Okay. Most of them can make it through. I made it through. And so, you know, those multiple turmoils kind of at the time, um, started the high school and I actually ended up starting high school like the same week of our nine 11 attacks. So that was crazy too. So we had all these different things. I sometimes feel like, look back and be like, how was I even there? It was like outer body experience for some of these things. Do you ever know, think of that in your life? Like, how did I make it through that? Or how did I really understand that? But God knew he had a plan. So I met a group of friends. Um, I was like the white girl hanging out with all the Mexicans. And, you know, we hung out in this one planter area. And we got invited to a local church for like a Wednesday night talent show at the youth group. And I was like, okay, cool, I'll go. Oh, one thing I didn't mention. So family life, obviously not Christian upbringing, but I had two different kind of paths where I encountered, you know, the beginnings of Christianity. The first one was when I was like in elementary school age. And believe it or not, they, a local church would send around a bus and they would pick up kids without their parents, take them on the bus to church and bring them home. My parents let me do that. Okay. It shows you how much the world has changed because I would never in a million years let my kids go on a bus somewhere without me. Like, right. And so I did do that and I enjoyed that. And I, when I would wake myself up, I would get myself ready. My parents would give me two hours for the offering. They'd say, okay, go ahead. We'll see you later. Okay. And they'd be snoozing. They'd be sleeping in on Sundays. And so sometimes I'd go, sometimes I wouldn't. So it was kind of like a first encounter as a young person. I probably gave, you know, said the salvation prayer every single week because I didn't really fully understand it. Didn't have any kind of, you know, um, reinforcements at home. 
to tell me who this Jesus really was and, and walk me through that. And I have such the joy and privilege of doing that with my babies now, kind of connecting those strings and making it like Jesus isn't just church. Jesus is, you know, made for our life. So, um, and then uh, when I was in junior high, I had a friend in my neighborhood and their parents would go to, they would drive like 45 minutes away to this big church, um, Vineyard Christian. I think it's like, I think it's a strand. I think there's multiple churches, but that was kind of like a, I had to earn it or every, everything had to line up right for me to go to church with them because the parents were like so funny. They were like totally hippies, like these big hippie people. And they had like the bug and they'd listen to 60 music and they'd be way up there and we'd be way in the back with no seatbelts, right? <laughs> I'm only 28, so I'm not that old, but they were still in that realm. But that had to be the per- perfect situation. Like they had to not be cranky that day. They had to be going themselves. They had, you know, the daughter had to have earned all, you know, you had earned the right for your friend to come to church. And I'm like, so that was more like a, just a dipping of God. You know, it was a great church. I met, I met people, but it was more just like a, every once in a while, you know, you ever heard of the CEOs of church, Christmas, Easter only, right? I felt like it was kind of like that. I kind of just went just on certain occasions, but so I got glimpses of God, but it was never real. Like it was just kind of like there. So then I did start high school, got invited to this church. Um, got invited to this youth group, and I was like, wow, this is cool, you know, and I didn't have a lot of big social life, I didn't have, a, I wasn't in sports and things like that, so I was like, okay, this is cool, I like this, I want to come back here, and so, lo and behold, Kate actually hung out with the same group that I hung out with, but we were like on the opposite side of planters, so after me going to this church and seeing her there, I'm like, wait, you're on the corner right there, like, with my friends, so we became really close, we're like the two white girls in this whole group. And so then I really became close with her and, um, like, best friends. And I tried to hung, and I met the Booth family. And I agree, I did fit in with the Booth family even before I was an official Booth. And it's not easy. You have to be loud, and you have to be able to take it, okay, because they're jokesters. Okay, they're intimidating, okay? Ke- don't, don't ever tell Kevin Booth he's intense, but he is, okay, because he'll fight you on it. So even with the caroling thing, it's so funny. I didn't grow up with like people caroling and things like that. Like on Christmas time, like I heard of carols, but like you go to the booth Christmas and like they're caroling inside the house, like, and everyone's like knows how to harmonize perfectly. And (sighs) you know what the Bible says? Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. So if you're making a noise and it's not harmonizing, that's okay. It's for the Lord. All right. My girl back there. Okay. I've had to force myself into learning how to sing. Okay, and be confident in it. So I can sing now, but I didn't used to be able to sing. So I was like kind of trying to stand in the back. So anyways, that's the Booth family. They're great. Um, And so started at Turning Point Church. Turning Point Church is um, the church that Kevin and Cindy leave and started going at the time. And it was at Turning Point that I really started to, I mean, I I felt the tug to be there. I wanted to be there. Like, whether it was to get out of my turmoil at home, whatever it was, to be around that environment. I would, like, do anything I could. I'd be like, I'll do extra chores if you drive me to church. I would, I would, half the time I was just at Kate's house all day on Wednesdays. Like, they would just pick me up after school, and I would just stay there, and then we'd go to church, and then, you know, whatever. Because I knew that's where I wanted to be. I felt comfortable there. Like, I felt, man, I walk in. This is, this is good. This, what is this? What's going on here? And it wasn't until kind of I matured and, and some of that, but um, that I really got the revelation about what it was that drew me in. And I said yes in those early um, freshman year, freshman year in high school. I said yes to God. I said, yes, I want, I want whatever you have for me. I want it all. I'm, I'm willing to change, transform me. I said yes. I said yes to him. 
And a few years later, into my walk with God and maturing, I got that revelation that, you know, I did say yes to him as a freshman in high school, but God, far, far, far before that, had said yes to me. And he had chose me. And he had a desire to have a relationship with me. And so even though it took me up until a freshman in high school to say yes back to him, it wasn't because I said yes that made God's plan come true. God already had the plan, and I was already walking in it. And then I said yes, and then it was like, the plan exploded. Like, we're going into fast mode. Like, put your seatbelt on. You're ready to hop on to this line. And so, um, you know, that's a revelation he has for all of us, that he wants a relationship for each and, with each and every one of his children. And he chooses that for them. And, you know, then he kind of sets up the path and the plan so that you can have a door open so that you can say yes to him. Because he, you know, he's not... He's, he's a, uh, um, uh, gentleman. There's the word. He's a gentleman. He doesn't force us into relationship with him. He doesn't trap us in a corner. He doesn't, you know, um, uh, you know, have to bargain. I have to bargain with my kids sometimes, eat their vegetables, right? I have to bargain with them like, okay, we're going to eat this first and then you can have dessert, right? You have to use those tactics, but God doesn't have, God doesn't do that with us. You know, I wasn't necessarily, you can say, look at my, you know, childhood and say, wow, you know, you weren't really dealt the best cards. You weren't raised in a Christian home and everyone loved Jesus. And so then Jesus right there, the door is open. No, it was not like that. And yet God said, even though this is the beginning of your walk, okay, your faith is going to be tested so that you can get to the place I have for you. And um, let me move on to this next page. You know, our circumstances, our past, our struggles, the mistakes that we've made, the cards we've been dealt, those don't, in, those don't um, determine whether God's going to have a plan for your life. That's how I want to say it. It doesn't determine whether God has a plan. But, you know, he, he gets you to the place where the door can be open so that you can say yes to the plan that he, does, has, that he had already created for your life from the beginning. And then when you do say yes... You buckle up and you get ready because it's going to be good. Okay, still going to be testing, still going to be trials. This is not the end of my, my testimony right here, but at that point when I said yes to Jesus, everything changed. My focus changed. Um, even though, you know, maybe my family was in turmoil, I had a strong, I was gaining a strong foundation in him and started to understand things more clearly. Um, you know, so for me to have that door open, it took me moving cities. It took me, my mom getting sick, us having to move away from my dad. Those types of things led me to the door being open for me to say yes. One of my favorite verses, um, I tell, you know, I say it all the time, John 10, 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus says, I came so that you may have life and live it more abundantly. Okay, we serve a good, good father. You guys heard that song on the radio? That you're a good, good father. Such a sweet, tender song. It's just beautiful. And uh, he is. He's a good father. And I may not have had a father on earth that maybe set me up for this, you know, right path to understand what fatherhood was. Like I said, I think he loved me he, and, and things like that. But, you know, he didn't show me God's love. And yet God came through and he became a father to me. And he showed me what it truly meant to have the love of a father and how that br- brings that welcome home. Come into my courts. Come sit on my lap. And, um, you know, so I do view God a lot of times as one of my, one of my daddies, one of my, one of my fathers. 
Um, you know, and I stand here today now, not having reached my destiny. I know Caleb and I and our family, and we're going to go through different ups and downs, and we continue to do so even though I love the Lord and even though um, I'm kind of on more of a, a steadfast path now. Um, but there's still trials that he takes us through to make us stronger and to um, open the doors for others. You know, but I'm confident that even through those trials, that not only that God had a great plan for me, that he used some of these struggles to bring me to, but that he has a great plan for you. That those struggles, some of those struggles and trials and, you know, unfair circumstances um, are leading you to the greater things in his bigger plan. Um, Philippians 1, 6 says, I am certain that God who began the good work with you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. And so even though I was kind of like, my mom was pretty stabilized in her medicine, things like that. We were kind of stabilized in our new environment. We got the hang of things. I, I, I gained friends. I gained a relationship with Christ and said yes to him. You know, it wasn't smooth sailing from there. Um, when my mom did go into the hospital that summer, they, they did give her a timeline. They said, this is not a curable thing. Okay, this is, this is serious. This is a heart condition. And, um, you know, the solutions we're giving you will help stabilize you for a time, but ultimately your heart's going to fail you. And so I was a junior in high school when my mom kind of reached that, that end in her life. And I was the oldest sibling, so I was 16. My, bro- my sister was 13, and my youngest brother was um, 10 at the time. And... You know, I don't think at any age, whether you're young or old, it's not easy to lose members of your family, okay? Because family is something God created too. And even though our families here on earth are so imperfect, right? We've got, you know, odds and ends, but God still puts that underlying love, you know, a glimpse of his love into that family environment. I loved my parents and I still love my parents. And I, now I do have a relationship with my dad. I went through a lot of angry years with my dad. Um, just wouldn't even talk to him on the phone. I was just so mad at him for his decisions, right? And then, um, you know, it was at a youth winter camp, kind of a few years into my relation with him, that I got the revelation about forgiveness. And I was able to forgive him without him apologizing, without him having to do one thing for me. But God revealed to me, forgive him because I've forgiven you. And then you're able to move forward in your path. It's holding you back. And so I was able to forgive him. He walked me down the aisle and I got married. He's one of my baby's grandpas. They've got plenty. They've got so many, it's not even funny. And so that, that, I forgot to mention that last night. I wanted to make sure I did mention that. They, I loved my dad, and he made a lot of mistakes, and he went through a lot of things that I did get angry at. Um, you know, and no matter and when I lose my dad, I'll be sad as well. But I lost my mom, and it's not easy. And, um, you know, at that time, I knew, um, even though my aunt had taken us in, she had done really well with that. Um, they still didn't make good decisions. There was still marijuana around and things like that. And I had a, like a true bitterness towards it. I hated it. I would just, I don't like things when they're not fair. Okay. And I know that's not always easy to, I know things aren't always fair, but I don't like when they're not fair when they could be fair. Right. And so, but, but I tell my kids now life's not fair. Right. So I learned my own lessons, but life isn't fair. But I don't like when things can be different and there's a choice that they're not being different. And so I knew uh, in my spirit, especially now having a relationship with God, being in more tune with that, I knew that this wasn't going to be the place that me and my siblings, now that my mom had passed, you know, was going to be successful for us. When I'm 16, I'm still in high school. I don't have a job. I don't have a car. I don't have means of my own. I can't go back to our dad's house. That was not an option. 
And um, so then I was faced with this gut feeling like, you've got to make a decision. And I've got a different path now for you. And I'm like, well, Lord, what on earth is that path? Because I have no means on my own to take my siblings and go anywhere. It's not possible. And um, beautiful thing about being um, at Turning Point for me was, uh, Terry said, is I needed a family. And Turning Point, like I walked into that church and they became my family. I had a family, but they became a Christ family. And I even walk into a church like this, um, in, into Westside, and I consider the ladies I'm looking at my sisters. And so I know the value of family in Christ's church community, in his bride. And they were moms to me. They were dads to me. They were uncles to me. They were caregivers. They were protectors, right? Um, they were, you know, um, influencers over me. And it could have been, it was all, a whole handful of adults in Turning Point, people I still know now. But I was really close to the youth pastors at the time. They um, really took me in under their wing. I was their white chocolate baby because they were a chocolate family. And I was white chocolate. And one other girl, she tried to be cho- strawberry chocolate. We were like, you know, that's not really your place, okay? I'm white chocolate. That's all it can fit here. No. And so, like, I went on with them their vacations, helped watch their kids, helped raise their kids, whatever. And so they opened up the doors, and they said, we will take you in, and you know we'll take you in like family, and you can live with us, and you can be part of us forever. And that, I mean, everything was lined up. They loved God. They were part of the church. It was in the same city. I could go to the same high school. I loved these people. I was comfortable with them. Like, whoo, okay, cool, right? And they said, but unfortunately, we don't have the ability to take in your siblings. So if they can stay there, and then you can come over here. And I was like, ooh, wow, 16-year-old trying to make these decisions. Cool opportunity, but not, I knew in my spirit wasn't the right thing. So we had a distant relative that was kind of like not really related, but like kind of like an aunt-uncle scenario, cousin, sister-brother, right? You know, you have those people that like are absolutely really not related to you, but you consider them in the circle, okay? So somehow actually through law, they are related to me, okay? Younger couple, they were probably um, in their 30s when I was 16, maybe even a little bit younger than that. They had four babies of their own. Um, and I had, over the different summers, when I moved to this new area, had gone and stayed with them for a week. I was, you know, they were young. You want to be with the young, hip people. So I'd gone over there. They had a family business, and I'd go work for her dad, and he'd call, you know, he'd call me over the intercom, and he treated me like family, too. I, the Lord just, everywhere I went, the Lord filled me with family. It was crazy. And so, um, and so I had talked to her a lot, a lot of different things, and she wasn't saved. They were more like really worldly. Um, they did not have their, their life together. They, um, but the, at the time, the, the gifts that God had instilled in them to be thriving in his kingdom, they already started shining through, even though they, she did, had no idea that that was like a God-given talent. But she had a caring, loving, hospitable, um, kind of broken because of the way it was you know, dealt with in the world. But she already had those gifts that came out. And she said, you know, I talked to Rick. So her, their names were Annette and Rick. And he said that you guys could come live with us, all three of you. They had four babies of their own. They had a lot of struggles. And yet they were willing to take in me and my two siblings. And we were all older than their kids. So we'll take you in. Different city. I'd, I would have to move, change schools. I'm moving away from the church. They're not saved. And I heard a yes from the Lord. Go there. And you're like, really? Okay. You don't want this really cool setup right here? 
This is like the hookup, right? And God said, no, 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 don't worry, I got you. And so um, we moved out of my aunt's house. My aunt was, she, hate, she was so mad at me. She, like, didn't talk to me for years. Um, but I had to say yes to God. I said, you know, I, I said, in reality, my yes to God is more important than the feelings of people right now. Because my yes to God is going to sort things out. My yes to myself or yes to please people is not going to sort its things out. It's going to end in turmoil. So my aunt and I are now reconciled. She could see the bigger picture now, but it was hard at the time. I moved in with this family. I did have to move away from the church, but they supported me in coming to the church. So they would drive me, and I I got my license pretty quickly after that because it was still you can get when you're 16. So um, I drove myself, you know, sometimes illegally because I wasn't supposed to drive myself, but I did to get to church. And uh, over... um, you know, they supported me. I, when their kids, as I started being able to legally drive other people, I would take their kids and my siblings and stuff, and we would all, you know, commute to the other city to go to Turning Point because I knew that was my home. I, I didn't have any desire to look for any other church. And so, um, you know, but these people, like, they were, they were into the world and the worldly things. They would have parties at their house, Patron. You know, they'd buy the stuff. That, I mean, I think they offered me shots sometimes, and I was like, no, I'm not, I'm not 21. It's okay, you know, right? And uh, they would say, you want to have a Halloween party with, with all your high school friends? And you're going to have it here? We'll go out. You just take over the house. And I was like, um, I don't know about that, you know? And so slowly and surely struck in the, taking the kids. They kind of like one by one got saved at Turning Point. And, um, you know, got plugged in in their own different ways. They're still, they're, they're teenagers now, so they're kind of walking through their ups and downs. Okay, but me and Caleb, we hone them in. Um, but, uh, slow and steady, uh, it took, I think almost 10 years. Um, they all came to know Jesus and, um, even Rick and Rick was like, he's got like the no religion tattoo, like all this stuff. Like, and it took all of us once we were saved praying for him and the church praying for him for like two or three years. And then he came and met the Lord and the Lord has done incredible things in their lives. And, um, you know, wow, part of the testimony of God taking me through a rocky path to get me to the place where not only I could be set up to say yes to the Lord and be, you know, thwarted into my, thrusted into my path with him and, and my blessings with him, but that I could be a bridge for a family who were far, 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 would not I mean, if I said no, I don't know. The Lord would have done his work, but it would have been looked way differently, looked way different. Um, that I could be used as a tool and a light into a family that really needed Jesus. And I'm, this family would have been torn to shreds if they do not know Jesus now. They would have been divorced, um, separated, I don't, you know, all this stuff. And so... You know, just because of the hand you're dealt in life and even the things that we're uncertain about and we don't think fits into the path. When God says it, when he says the way to to go and we say yes, he'll worry about the how it's going to happen. And, um, you know, I want to share a verse with you guys um, in John 13, 7. And that's when Jesus was washing the disciples' feet. 
And here they all together, and the disciples were like his best buds. They were like his closest friends. You know, you can do a lot of things with your closest friends. Like you can be real with them and just kind of have your guard down. You feel comfortable with them and things like that. And, but they, the, this group still saw him as Messiah. They saw him as the king. They knew him amongst many people as like the savior. And so they're, they're eating here together, and he, takes, he gets a towel. He wraps around, takes his, his overgarments off, wraps around, and he starts washing their feet. And they're thinking, like, I mean, they're not pretty feet like ours with pedicures, you know, and boots and, like, pretty smells and, you know, clipped toes. And, I mean, it's dirty, disgusting, manly men in the dirt with, like, the calluses and the cuts and, like, you know, that kind of stuff. Bunions, right? Bunions. Um, Like, those feet. And he, Jesus, is washing the feet. And they're, like, pretty uncomfortable with that, right? They're, like, whew. One guy's even, like, you're not washing my feet? Don't you dare. Don't you do it. And he says, in verse 7, Jesus answered him, what I, what I am doing, you don't understand now, but afterward you will understand. And he says that over our lives when we face these unfair, weird card hand that we've been dealt, trials and circumstances. And um, he says, you don't understand now. But he said, but trust me, you will understand afterwards. It will make sense. And I, I will come through for you. It may not be the way you think it would be, but I will. Um, you know, we all have questions going through life, and we all want to ask God. You know, we all, you know, Kevin said all the time, um, I want to ask God why, you know, this happened or why that happened. We all have those things. And um, we ask why when we're here. And, you know, we have to remember that, that even though we don't understand now what God is doing, that he does have a plan and he does have promises he is going to fill. And we have to not only take into consideration the faith-filled story he's given us, but that consideration that he is a faithful God. And if he's faithful and he's loving and he's full of grace and he's our protector and our provider and our father, and remember the Bible says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, then he's not going to be the opposite of those things. And so if he's loving, he's never going to be not loving. If he's caring, he's never going to be not caring. If he's a protector, protector he's never going to not protect us it just may look differently than how we in our worldly understanding and knowledge and cultural context it's gonna be different than the way the world's going to present how you should be successful um romans eight twenty eight, love this verse says and we know that for those that love god all things work together for the good for those that are called according to his purpose. And that's really specific. Some people kind of change this verse around and say, God does all things good for you. No, he doesn't. Not all things that he does are good. Okay, mommy's passing away, baby's being lost, um, you know, not having a house, not having a job. Those things maybe not, don't, aren't good. It's not like, this is a good thing. The Christmas tea, good thing, right? Um, but we know when something's not a good thing. doesn't mean we're always going to have good things happening to us. But it does mean that he's going to take all those things by testing our faith, bringing us through those trials. He's going to bring them together for our good. And I want to encourage you because there's been a lot of opportunities in my life where I could have said, okay, I give up. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me right now? Really? You said all these things? And this is what's happening? And I could have said, you know, I'm just, I think I have the better solution. I'm a planner like that. I, I do like to think I have the better solution sometimes. Not than God, but maybe my husband. Yeah. You know. 
And so, but we have to turn to the trust and turn to that faith aspect and say, you are taking me through a trial for a greater reason I can't even understand. And the truth is the solution he is going to bring to you is going to be far better than anything we can work out on our own. Okay, if I was to work out things on my own, I probably would not be a principal. I wouldn't be working at the school I'm at with the freedoms that I have. I wouldn't own my own house, things like that. And so it's not because, oh, wow, she just had all these hookups. It's no, I've said yes to the Lord, and the Lord really does come through. He is true to his word. He really is. And um, the last story I'll leave you with um, is Mary, you know, in the the Christmas spirit. Okay, Mary, young Mary. Okay, who, has anybody ever been engaged? Do you guys remember the time where right before you got married, you were engaged? Okay. And you're young, you're giddy. My husband and I have really, like, really cool other testimony in our, in our walk together in our relationship. We saved um, our bodies for each other in our first kiss for our wedding day. So I was like a really giddy, nervous person, like engaged, looking forward to this marriage, okay? I had no idea what to expect, okay? And I didn't have good role models either that. But beyond that, so Mary, imagine her in this state. She is engaged. She's envisioning, I'm going to get married to this guy, all these things. We're going to have our kids and all this stuff. And I love the Lord, right? You know, she loved the Lord, obviously. The Lord chose her. And so an angel comes. She's engaged. She's not married yet. And the angel comes and tells her of the crazy plan God had for her life, right? To fulfill his promises. And it's crazy, okay? We think it's all cool. Oh, yeah, Mary, the virgin birth. Okay, this was not cool at the time. Okay? You know, it's, you know, people, when you're pregnant, they look for the ring, Okay, they still do that today. They look for the ring. Are you, are you married? Oh, you're not? Oh, okay, okay. Well, good luck, right? You know, and here she was in a, in, a, in a small town. Everyone knew her. Everyone knew who she's engaged to. And now, easily, people could be like, scandalous. You couldn't wait, whatever. But an angel presents this crazy plan. And she's like, well, you know, can you just wait until after the marriage? And then it will look really good to everyone else. You know, she wasn't like... Well, I really was hoping to have a year first, you know, just enjoy marriage and then go to the baby route because it really does change you after your babies, right? You know? And uh, I love seeing all the pregnant people, by the way. I love it. I love it everywhere. Pregnant people. I just rub your pregnancy on me, okay? Because I want more, even though it's crazy. Um, and she did not hesitate. She said, yes, your, your will be done. And in Luke 145, a verse that's so close to my heart right now, I want to encourage you with it. It says, And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And I encourage you to, one, think about the, the places that God's brought you up to this point, but don't lose faith, okay? Let the testing and the trials you're going through and the path that, and the plan that God has you on let it bring you to that steadfast place that he has for you. And you may not be there yet. And even when you get there, it doesn't mean you're done. But he does want you to come quickly into that steadfast place so then you can enjoy and be a doorway to others for them to have the opportunity to say yes to the king, and say yes to the savior and to be transformed by him. And so... Be encouraged by that. Blessed is she. That's a promise. You are blessed when you believe that the fulfillment of the plans that God has for you is going to come to pass. And, um, you know, it's just don't let the hand that was dealt to you determine. Don't be quick to determine what choice you're going to make on that. Follow through with the game. 
keep your poker face if you need to at times, right? I can do it. Um, and let God bring you out victorious as the winner in that round. Okay? So thank you for having me. Blessings. Thank you. Bless you. Thank you, Jen. Isn't she a beauty? She's such a sweet girl and woman of God. She did a great job. Um, I loved God's redemptive plan that shines through so um, clearly through her life and through her testimony. And uh, as I look around the room, there's a lot of there's a lot of brokenness. People that have gone through a lot of things, and I want you to know that there's hope. And there's a season of joy for you. And uh, God's got a redemptive plan. And we're here. And we're going to get here. And then, but God's got some steps here. And, uh, and then we might go through something else. But uh, he is a redemptive God. And he uses everything for his glory. So he takes every dirty, every ugly, every painful, every traumatic thing. He takes the ugly and he brings beauty in spite of it. Not because of it, but in spite of it. So a season of joy. Um, I'd just like to pray for you, and we're almost done. Um, and then we're going to um, end with some presents and shopping. And, uh, and, and it will do it all in eight minutes. So can we bow our heads? Father... Thank you, Lord, first of all, for, um, for what you've done for us, Lord, that you sent your son to die on the cross for our sin in our place, Lord. doesn't matter how ugly or how shameful, Lord, the things that we've been through, things that have been done to us, Lord, but, uh, but you have a plan, Lord, and it is to clothe us, take our dirty rags and clothe us with righteousness, Lord, when we look on you and we receive you as our Lord and Savior. Lord, that you look at us as if you look on your son, that you love so much, and you love us so much, you want that relationship with us. Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for that, God. Thank you for Jen and her story. Thank you for for the sacrifice she made to come up here, Lord, and tell that story three times, Lord, to be used um, for people to be able to see you and your faithfulness. And it comes out loud and clear that, God, you are good and you are faithful. And we trust you, Lord. We trust you. We don't always understand what happens, but we trust you, God. And we put our lives close to you. Lord, we allow crises to draw us closer to you and not run away. Lord, I pray, Father, that each and every woman here will take her next step closer to you today. Lord, if they've been uh, believers and have said yes to you and you've been Lord of their life for many, many, many years, God, maybe it's an obedience thing. Maybe you're asking them to start doing something that they know you've asked them to do. Or maybe you've been asking them to stop doing something. And Lord, I pray that they would take that step of obedience today. Lord, those who are here who received you years ago, and uh, kind of got busy and distracted and uh, with all of the things of life. I've kind of put you on a shelf and said, I'll come back to you, God, when my kids are raised. Or I'll come back to you when my job isn't so stressful. God, I pray, Lord, today 
that you would impact their lives, Lord, and draw them, that they would say, God, I put you first in my life again. You are number one. You are Lord. And, Lord, those who have been searching and seeking and, and uh, wondering, God, should I say yes to you? And they're just waiting for something. Lord, even those who don't even know why they're here, they, they just came to a tea just to have some fun with their friends. Lord, I pray that every single one of us would take that little step closer to you, Lord, that you would draw by your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would give revelation of who you are. God, that you would speak to each one of us that of our need for you and our need to surrender to you. And, Lord, give us that deep confidence, Lord, that we can trust you. God, we love you, Lord. I pray that you would impact, make a difference, Lord, that we would be different when we leave today. Lord, that you would answer a need. Lord, you would meet a desire. Lord, you would heal a heart, a broken heart. Lord, that you would heal uh, disappointment, disillusionment, God, discouragement, Lord. Bring hope. Lord, bring joy. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.